On George Kennedy is my co-pilot, we look at the lengthy, always unique career of one of the finest character actors to ever live, George Kennedy. On this premiere episode, we're looking at one of his trademark roles, the one that snagged him his second Golden Globe nomination and helped give this podcast its name. We're watching 1970s Airport. Welcome to George Kennedy is my co-pilot, a podcast devoted to George Kennedy. What a concept. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me on this nightmare at 30,000 feet is my usual co-host on Cinema Smorgasbord Podcast. It's Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. What's going on with you? How are, how's life up there in the great white north? You turned it around on me. I'm supposed to be talking to you, and I now you're know, asking questions around I here. Know. You know what? We're, we're rapidly approaching the spookiest season of the year, Liam. In fact, because we're actually a few weeks ahead in our recording of Cinema Smorgasbord Podcast. It's going to be even closer at yeah. the p- time people are hearing this. And I don't know, man. Like, the older I get, and it's happening. I'm getting older and older. The more I get excited about this season, even mm-hmm. though I'm mm-hmm. less engaged with the season than ever before, because I'm not like you. I don't have a child that's going to go out and, like, like dress up and, you know, and, and get candy and stuff like that. I just like the feeling of the season. Is that a strange thing for me to say? Not at all. In fact, I... I am probably going to be one of those people, if I can ever get my act together, that's like, fuck <laughs> it, let's start in September. Like, September 1, bam, Halloween. Like, that would be me. The issue is that takes a certain amount of, like, organizing and preparedness that I am. I decided this year, September 1, we're going to do it. We're going to start Halloween season right now. And here it is, October 1, and I just got out the decorations. <laughs> <laughs> because I've just been too busy to make it happen. Uh, but but my only fear with that, Doug, and, and, and we've talked about this before, but for people who maybe are newer listeners, I, I think of Christmas as a time of year that is a big disappointment because sure. mm-hmm. there's just too much wrapped up in it. You know, when I was a kid, wrapped up. I was never going to get the toy that was going to make life worthwhile. You know what I mean? Right. Like, mm-hmm. I was never going to have the perfect holiday. <laughs> and my worry is that I could build Halloween up enough that then Halloween would start to disappoint me. And I don't want I don't oh. want to so romanticize it, even though I love it. It's like my favorite holiday. I don't want to romanticize it so much that it starts to mean automatic disappointment because it's oh. not living up to my expectations. Although that would be thematically, you know, good with the rest of my life. Uh, I would like this to be the one thing that doesn't work out that way. Well, I'll tell you what, Liam. Here's a cheery thought. Yeah. So uh, even if the, one of your listeners, our listeners, I should say right now, are not a big fan of the month of October, soon you probably will be because of uh, the crisis of climate change on Earth. Sure, the, yeah. Summers are just going to get hotter and more unbearable, and you'll be looking forward to October as the slow respite from all of that heat. So everyone's going to be loving October just as much as you and I do pretty soon. Wow, that was a real bummer. That was good, Doug. I like that. That works. That's thematically appropriate as well. Liam, George Kennedy. Yeah. He's an actor. actor, An actor. Very good. So far, we're on the same page regarding this podcast. Liam, George Kennedy is an actor, a character actor. He appeared in hundreds of roles throughout the, uh, the extent of his career. He passed away a few years back. You are not a George Kennedy guy. Would that be fair to say? Oh, more than fair. Right. And wh- what do I mean by that? Like, you, you are not very familiar with his filmography. You wouldn't necessarily... I mean, you, would, you recognize him, but he's oh, not yeah. someone that you seek out the work of. 
No, not at all. It, it, well, when you first said the name, right. I was like, I don't know who that is. And I had to see his picture. But then, on the other hand, and I don't know if this would be true of everyone, but I think it's probably true of a lot of uh, film nerds our age. Once I saw his picture, I was like, oh, of course, course that guy. But, when you uh, saw his picture, sorry, Liam, when yeah. you saw it, wh- what was the role that sprung to mind? What did you recognize him from? That's actually a very good question that I, mm-hmm. I was trying to decide before recording today. And, you know, my obvious answer is the Naked Gun movies. You know, sure, like that's absolutely. that's the first thing that would. But honestly, I don't know that that's true. I see him like like the on the IMDb, there's older pictures of him. And those did not look as familiar to me as the the or more recent photos where he is looking older. Right. Um, the older pictures where he is looking younger were familiar to me, but I don't remember seeing a film like we're talking about today, Airport, at all. And yet that George Kennedy that's in this movie is familiar to me. Like I think of like maybe this era of films. He's one of the faces that would come more than, say, another person who's in this movie, <clears throat> Burt Lancaster. Sure. Utterly unfamiliar to me means right. not like if you had asked me before I saw this movie, which this was the first time I watched this movie ever, and you were like, "Do you know anyone who's in the movie?" I would have said that big blonde guy, George Kennedy, <laughs> and Dean Martin, and that's it. That's all I knew about the movie going in. <laughs> that was it. And and Dean Martin's only familiar to me because of his uh, significance as a pop figure. I've not watched a lot of Dean Martin movies. I certainly am not listen to music or comedy from him you know like you are unsure whether he's a musician or a comedian <laughs> i literally have no fucking clue well the i know, I know he did roasts both... right he did roasts yeah. right like right, that right. was a thing yeah i know that <laughs> and i, 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 I assume he's drunk a lot that's the vibe i get as well so Booze what in comedy what are, yeah that's true he was a uh, notorious drunkard and apparently that was very amusing to people in the 1970s <laughs> uh, this is great liam because here's the thing I have wanted to do a George Kennedy-themed podcast for a very long time. On the Cinema Smorgasbord Network, we have a lot of podcasts that are devoted to specific actors and actresses that go through their career, sometimes in chronological order, sometimes just kind of cherry-picking. We do that on the show. So I thought George Kennedy would be an interesting choice, though I do have to say, even compared to a lot of the shows on the network currently, he's sort of an obscure figure. It's not that people don't know the name George Kennedy. It's just that he hasn't kind of retained his role in pop culture. And part of the motivation of doing this show is that I want to bring him forward so people have a better appreciation for the scope of his career. And one of those people that I want to have that appreciation is you, Liam O'Donnell. I very much appreciate that. And I think I will gain that appreciation, especially (laughs) if there are more films like the film we watched today. Ooh, interesting. I like hearing that. But also, he did a lot of weird shit. That's also something I need to really <laughs> affirm at the beginning. He just did a lot of strange stuff throughout his career, and that'll be fun to explore as well. But here's the thing. I don't want to be one of those podcasts, I couldn't be, where it's just me, a fan, trying to convince you, someone who doesn't care, about uh, some sort of topic, right? Or like a topic like George Kennedy. So for a project of this magnitude, we needed a ringer, someone equally excited to devote years of their life. <laughs> to examining the output of George Kennedy. You know her work from the Talk Film Society, Looper, My Old Stomping Grounds, Daily Grindhouse, and elsewhere. It's Sarah Jane. How are you, Sarah? Hello. I am fine. It is an honor and a pleasure to be with you both on this crazy adventure. It's a crazy adventure, Sarah. It we is. have been discussing the possibility of recording together on a George Kennedy-themed podcast for what feels like years. 
I think it's legitimately at least a year and a half. Yeah, it feels like years because it's actually probably been years we've been talking it, yes. about. Yes. But yes. it's now it's happening. How do you feel now that you know that it's happening? Now that it's going out in the world, people are going to respond to it. Some people might even listen to it. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Uh, I'm excited about it. Um, I've never been like, you know, a permanent guest on a, or a host on a podcast. You're a host, not so, a guest. Sorry. I'm going to make that so, clear right from the top. I have been a guest. Hey, was I yes. a guest with you and Liam and we <laughs> yeah. watched like a David Dakota movie? Or you, you did watch a David Dakota movie for Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man with uh, Liam and I a few years back. And, and it was a delight. Do you remember what movie it was? We watched a lot of David Dakota movies. You know what? I don't. Oh, I think there was a Bigfoot. And oh no! A lot of <laughs> the worst, the worst fucking one. That that is, uh, and no joke. Look, the fact is, we have a lot of fun over at Eric Roberts is the fucking man, but we have also watched some really, really poor movies. And I don't think any. Well, there was ones that were worse, but there was certainly none more gay <laughs> than Bigfoot meets D.B. Cooper uh, and also just that's very D.B. Cooper <laughs> that's right and I, Bigfoot... I forgot <laughs> and if you might uh, not to to uh, bring back some bad memories Sarah but you might remember that that movie ends I believe with D.B. Cooper being turned into a Bigfoot I think it did well, oh my gosh go. But this isn't this isn't a podcast about no. Bigfoot meets D.B. Cooper, unfortunately. It's about the great actor George <laughs> Kennedy. So I want to ask you, why why should listeners care about George Kennedy? Oh, gosh. Where to start? I know. Uh, there's a lot. First, I think it's a privilege for us to be watching George Kennedy perform because the man is amazing. Um, I love him. I've spent a lot of time with him. Um, you know, he's not a movie star. He's just an everyman. Right. So, you know, he's like us. Uh, I relate to him a lot because um, I feel it's, it's going to sound weird, but I feel like that's me on screen mm. because, you know, I was six foot tall at 14. And so, oh. you know, I know what it's like to be the big lug. So, you know, there's a line from Mad Men in season one where Don... And the execs are talking about Nixon versus Kennedy. And so um, he was talking about Kennedy as nouveau riche and mm-hmm. Nixon as a self-made man. But he says, Kennedy, I see a silver spoon. Nixon, I see myself. And so right. that's how I feel about George. It, it's me. And I, I, I mean, that, I think that's a nice tagline idea for the show, right? George Kennedy is all of us. He, he is, and again, I don't want to describe you as a big lug, but that is one of the <laughs> things that people described him as when we put out into the world that this podcast was going to exist. He is the prototypical big lug. And as a big lug, as myself a big lug, it's something I also kind of relate to. But there's another thing that I like about George Kennedy. In fact, many things. But one thing in particular, which is his voice. He has this beautiful, mellifluous voice that I enjoy listening to very much. And I think that it's like his... uh, his, uh, he has a bag of tricks. This is like his main trick, which is that he has such a great voice that he brings gravitas to even uh, ridiculous concepts, I would say, at times. Agreed. Agreed. Sarah? Yes? Do you have a favorite George Kennedy role? There are so many. Mm-hmm. Um, I, no. Oh, no, my I goodness. I don't think I do. I don't think I, I don't think I do yet. I like, you know, there's a lot of movies. I love George Kennedy, but I haven't seen a lot of the movies that we're going to watch myself. So, you know, I feel like yeah. I haven't found my favorite George Kennedy role. 
Well, I just... I love him as Petroni. I mean, don't get me wrong. Well, there's a lot of Petroni to love, I would say. Exactly. (laughs) And I don't just mean because of his big luggedness. I also mean because he (laughs) pairs in four of the airport films, all four of the airport films, though we're only going to be talking about 1970s airport today. Of course, before this show is over, we will be watching all of the airport movies. I know you're very excited about that, Liam. And in fact, let's talk about what the concept (laughs) of this show is in general. And if uh, either of my co-hosts disagree with anything I'm about to say, you can certainly jump in and tell me so. So just want you to know, listeners, between 1956 and 2014, George Kennedy amassed over 200 acting credits, countless commercials, game show appearances, variety show appearances. He wrote two mystery novels starring himself. He wrote Uh an autobiography. He won an Oscar. And he lived to be 91 years old. A, a packed life. Uh, and in fact, I've read his autobiography. He has a very, very full life. And maybe we'll talk about that on an upcoming show as well. <laughs> but good. yeah, it is good. And so while this is a very lighthearted podcast, it's going to showcase the best of his work and the worst of his catalog. I want to make it clear right from the top. And this is very similar to some of our other shows that Liam and I do, is that we are not here to mock George Kennedy or his work. I honestly, sincerely think he is an amazing, undervalued actor who brought depth and gravitas to even his schlockiest role. I want everyone listening to love him as much as I do. And so we're going to cover everything. We're going to cover his books. We're going to cover his weird documentary about Jupiter destroying the world from 1982. (laughs) We're going to talk about his his greatest roles like Cool Hand Luke or The Dirty Dozen or, of course, Airport. And we're going to go right up till the end of his career. His final role, The Gambler, with uh, Mark uh, Wahlberg from just, I think, 2014. He has so much that we can dig into. And again, game shows. Hey, he was on Match Game. Maybe we'll talk about that. He hosted Saturday Night Live at one point. Maybe we'll talk about that. We have so much that we can grab from. And that is what's so exciting to me about this project. It doesn't have to be restrained to the greatest or the worst. There's so much in between. There's so much to travel over and to look at. Sarah, are you excited when you hear me say that? When you hear me say all of these kind of odd little bits of ephemera we're going to dig into? So many commercials. You did a lot of commercials. I am excited because that's, I love that stuff. I'll sit and watch um, commercials and weird things on YouTube for hours. I mean, that's the, that's the good stuff to me. I'm watching my life go by as I'm spending time on YouTube watching garbage. That's me. That's what I do. <laughs> Liam, now, you are, again, not an enthusiast of George Kennedy. When you hear all the things I just said, you know, all of these weird bits of corners of pop culture that we're going to be digging into, does that make you excited or do, at this point, you just not care? I wouldn't say I don't care. Mm. I think <laughs> I think I'm much more excited about the film aspects. I know you are. I know and you I are. will always be... You could, honestly, at this point, Doug, there are very few actors you could choose for us to focus on that some part of me wouldn't be excited because there's often something there that I'm going to be surprised by. Uh, When it comes to George Kennedy, as I said, I didn't recognize the name, but I feel like I'm familiar with his face enough that I'm, I don't know, waiting to be surprised, I guess is the way to put it, that we're going to find stuff 
both obvious like cool hand luke i kind of knew like oh right he's in that but like i can't wait to see some of the weird movies that i don't sure. expect him to be in um i think that's going to be great i'm really interested in that uh watching commercials isn't my thing though and then <laughs> i will do it because i love I love you and i love doing this show with you uh but i will complain the whole if, if people are looking forward to me being a cranky teddy bear oh buddy that's the any commercial episode i'm gonna whine it's gonna be great you're going to be particularly <laughs> upset because of one of the uh, repeated commercials that George Kennedy did was for Schaefer's Beer, uh, a German beer brand, which, of course, you are notoriously a straight-edge man who doesn't enjoy drinking alcohol. <laughs> Is the suggestion that if you are a boozer, that beer commercials are awesome? Because yeah. one more reason, alcohol must be a bad idea. Because, like, I love a good sandwich, but I'm not like, man, can't wait for that fucking sandwich commercial. That's going to be – like, I love Doritos, <laughs> but a Doritos commercial is torture. What are we talking about here? Is well, that a real thing? Crunch all you well, want. They'll make more. I, I don't want to watch – I don't want to watch modern commercials. I'm talking yeah. about, you know, commercials from the 60s and 70s. Yeah, does that make you excited? <laughs> <laughs> Old fucking commercials in. for beer brands that don't even exist anymore? I mean, by, by 100%, you know this is true before I even say it. There is only one kind of commercial I'm excited for, and that is Japanese commercials. I will watch Japanese commercials till the, till the you know, end of the day. But uh, just commercials in general, it's just not really my thing. I mean, again, I'm going to do it. You know, it'll be more amusing <laughs> than Bigfoot versus D.B. Cooper. That's for sure. <laughs> What if I was to tell you, uh, Liam, I don't know if George Kennedy appeared in any uh, Japanese commercials, but he did appear in a Japanese film in 1977 called Proof of the Man. Uh, so that'll be exciting when Perfect. we get to that. Awesome. He's the only, I believe, only Western uh, figure in this entire film. Proof of the Man. Love it. Stoked. See? All right. All right. I'll, I'll try to make it easy on you, Liam. I don't have to make it easy on Sarah. She's already on board. But I understand no. we got to ease you in. And what better project to start with? Then with the George Kennedy franchise, uh, based on Arthur Haley's 1968 novel and directed by George Seaton, it's 1970s Airport. Let's take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the movie that started the disaster movie craze of the 1970s, Airport. Airport, the year's most widely read novel, becomes today's most exciting, most timely motion picture. Airport, big scale in every way, has the biggest all-star cast ever assembled for a single universal motion picture. Burt Lancaster, Dean Martin, Gene Seberg, Jacqueline Bisson, George Kennedy, Helen Hayes, Van Heflin, Maureen Stapleton, Barry Nelson, Lloyd Nolan, Donna Winter. The pilot from your flight 45 made a shortcut across the field. And he didn't make it. Well, what are you doing about it? Well, when the snow melts in April, we'll get it out. What the hell do you think I'm doing about it? Outselling any novel of recent years, translated into 14 languages, Arthur Haley's Airport was written for the screen and directed by Academy Award winner George Seaton. It has seven stories tied into one. Mel Bakersfeld, the general manager of a Chicago-area airport, must contend with a massive snowstorm and other issues both work-related and personal, while the troubled D.O. Guerrero threatens to blow up an airliner. As pilot Vernon Demarest attempts to calm Guerrero down and dissuade him from setting off explosives on the plane, tensions increase in the air and on the ground, 
and danger is imminent. It's 1970s Airport, directed by George Seaton, probably best known for the Christmas classic Miracle on 34th Street. This is actually the second last film of his career that went all the way back to the mid-1940s, and written by George Seaton as well, adapted from the 1968 novel by Arthur Haley. Uh, Haley wrote a lot of novels like this, in that they were uh, they took place in like specific uh, uh, businesses. I think he did one based on like a supermarket. And one of the things that is kind of interesting about this movie, and I'm guessing about the novel that it's based on, is that it really digs deep into the operation, the kind of day-to-day operation of one of these locations, and then throws in the gears. It's kind of like the Sim City of movies. Stars, of course, Burt Lancaster as the airport manager Mel Bakersfeld. We have Dean Martin as the Vernon Demarest, kind of the main pilot character in the film. We have Jean, Jean Seberg, uh, Jean Seberg, I should say, Jacqueline Bisset, and of course, George Kennedy as Petroni. We also have Helen Hayes as Ada Quinsett, who ended up winning an Academy Award for her little old lady who, uh, who likes to be a stowaway on flights in the film. The film was a massive financial success at the time, making over $100 million at the box office. In fact, it was Universal's biggest film up until Jaws a few years later. And like that film, this was a troubled production that ran wildly over budget. They thought that this was going to be a huge failure, but instead, audiences flocked. As I mentioned, Helen Hayes won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role as the elderly stowaway and was nominated for nine other Academy Awards. But most importantly... It nabbed a Golden Globe nomination for George Kennedy, who uh, would ride this role for its three sequels uh, over the following 10 years. And in fact, uh, was so enthusiastic about the airplane the airplane side of things that he became a pilot in real life. Not a, uh, not a pilot like the pilots in this film, but became uh, <laughs> a pilot that he could uh, fly personal-sized uh, airplanes. Uh, so uh, that it really did kind of rub off on him in his career. So this, as I mentioned... Really the prototypical first disaster movie. Uh, For those who aren't very familiar with disaster movies, there's a kind of uh, a few things that they have in common. One of them is that they have all-star casts. This movie has a lot of familiar faces, but it would kind of get out of control as the rest of the decade went on, where even in very small parts would have very recognizable faces, at least at that time period. And they would have some sort of, as you would expect, disaster occur. In this film, there's actually two disasters. There's a massive snowstorm occurring that George Kennedy has to dig a plane that's caught on a runway, uh, get get that out of the way because they need to make room for a plane landing after someone blows up a bomb on the plane and leaves a big hole in it. Very exciting. Very nerve-wracking. But is it any good? Let us start with Sarah Jane. Sarah. We are big fans of George Kennedy, but just because we're big fans of George doesn't mean we're a big fan of all of his movies. What are your thoughts on 1970s Airport? Well, I had to rewatch it for the podcast, obviously. I would hope so. Yeah. It's a weird movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to get a a handle on it. There's like a full hour where there's nothing, excuse me, there's nothing happening. It's like a two and a half hour long movie. With the hour, the hour is just set up, right? Just people do Yes. Stuff. It's very slow to unfold. And so, it, you know, I, I was digging on Burt Lancaster because he was just, I don't even know what was his performance. And his wig was, I guess it was a wig. I don't know. It was, it was doing a lot of work. It was distracting me. Um, uh, Jacqueline Bissett <clears throat> is really lovely, but, you know, no way would she be with Dean Martin. I cannot, no, I cannot abide by that. That's just wrong in every way. And so, you know, I like George Kennedy and I like Petroni and I'm glad um, when they made the sequels that they based the sequels on his character. You know, he became more um, 
of a focus later on, but it's just an odd, it's just an odd movie where nothing really happens for most of the runtime. So you don't that like the fact now we are saying nothing happens. Of course, things are happening. Well, yeah, they're yeah. just not interesting things that are necessarily <laughs> happening. We're being introduced to the characters, right? We're we're seeing their day to day life. We're we're seeing honestly, we're getting into some real detail in terms of the daily operations of every part of the airport. And then it's kind of they they throw in this monkey wrench. Is your feeling that? an hour is a lot of fucking time to devote to just seeing how an airport runs. Yes. I think it's excessive. <laughs> it is. This movie could have been, you know, a sweet 90 minutes and done, but you know, I guess they thought they were going to add tension with the buildup of uh, the bomb and, you know, poor uh, Jean or no, what's her name? It was Maureen Stapleton. Yeah. As the wife of the bomber, I mean There's that part at the end where she's going in and she's apologizing to people. I, I actually know got, it's, it's, that's it's awful. devastating. Yeah, it is. It is. So there's some good work going on in this movie by the by the actors. You know, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, Dean Martin is Dean Martin. You know, he never changes. He's but everybody gross, else though, right? was good. Yes, he was. He was gross. Um, I. <laughs> I did love the costumes, though. I know yeah. that Edith Head was um, nominated for an Oscar because the stewardess's outfits and then Jean Seberg, um, her, I guess it was a uniform, but she mm -hmm. seemed to change it depending on what part of the airport she was going to. Yeah. But, you know, her boots and she had that beautiful cape with the hood. So I was digging on the, um, on the costumes. I try to, you know, if, if I'm starting to zone, then I try to focus on, you know, something else that may be a positive. So well, I, mean, I don't lot. hate the movie, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, do, do, you, do you feel more engaged with it after that first hour when the action starts to kick in a little? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you A know. hesitant, yeah, I would say. <laughs> I'm saying it could have been, you know, they spent too much money to go two hours and 45 minutes. It didn't, it did not need to be that long and you'll that's never convince me otherwise oh pfft. well we'll see <laughs> that's actually not why i'm here is to try to convince you otherwise but but who knows people might might send us threatening letters liam o'donnell yeah. this was your first experience with 1970s airport is that correct oh yes 100 percent. what did you think of it i liked it a lot mm. however i want to be clear right a, a lot of the things <laughs> that Sarah's pointing out are more than accurate. They're completely true. Yeah. And and I I have to say I committed what many people consider a film watching sin. Oh no. I immediately, within the first minute, fell into a very pleasurable, ironic detachment when it came to this movie. <laughs> because, and and this is just a symptom of who I am. So when this started, despite the, everything about this to me is leaning into what could become exploitation. Sure. Airport, yeah. we're going to blow a plane up. It's going to be crazy. And then when they start to do it, they just can't help themselves but be Hollywood in the yeah. most terrible, dumb way. And for me, I think for some people, that's a, that would be okay, and then they would just be bummed that the movie isn't as gripping as they would like because they like Hollywood. As soon as the movie starts and they're like, all right, 
sure, there's it's airport, but it's also Hollywood. I'm like, oh, I hate this old Hollywood. Great. I'm excited. Because <laughs> that just means, like, for me, that is something to be mocked at all times. And, and I haven't really gotten into that on the show yet. But, like, the sort of classic Hollywood that this movie wants to be while still being like, but we also have divorce and possibly an abortion. <laughs> yeah, and right? also yeah. we're going to blow a plane up because of poverty. Like the movie wants to have all this gritty 1970 <laughs> yeah. stuff, but still be like, but we're still Hollywood, baby. Woohoo. <laughs> it fucking, it's a, it's a fucking ridiculous caricature. <laughs> and I love it. I'm just watching it going, this shit is so dumb and boring. And it's just not really like <laughs> doing it. I loved, I was like in love with that. This this is I, I went full John Waters on this thing. Like, oh man, I want to make a shitty remake of this with like like no budget and make fun of it because I, that's how I felt. I had a lot of fun. And now, granted, what makes it better is that people are really doing it. No one in the movie is going, "This is silly," and I'm going to be silly. Right. Oh fuck no, they are selling it. And my favorite part was to me almost utterly unknown George Kennedy and we'll get to his performance later but like just him as this guy yeah you better go get those cigars now I'm gonna get this plane out of the snow what the fuck is going on is this a dick measuring contest about getting a plane out of the snow just from that alone I was like this is awesome like I'm so about it and and I and I and I I am both horrified but amused that a film in which on paper the stakes are huge right like sure. mm-hmm. a why does Chicago have an airport with only two fucking, uh, <laughs> la- you know, uh, uh, landing airstrips? Uh, it's because those fat cats won't build a new modern one. <laughs> it's insane to me. I mean, at this point, what is Chicago? Like the third largest city in the country? The second largest city in the country? You know what I mean? Like LA hasn't exploded yet. So like, how is Chicago the second city? Like, yeah, we got two We got two lanes. That's that's good, right? We don't need more than that for airplanes. That's crazy. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we've got Burt Lancaster, everything. He's angry. He, he, is, he is reservedly angry about everything. His wife clearly wants him dead from the first moment she's on screen. Uh-huh. <laughs> he does. Probably yet, rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. And yet Gene G, uh, uh, Seberg is like, you're my boss, but also I care about you. <laughs> Fuck, why? What is going on? And then the vitriol from Dean Martin. He's like, well, yeah, fucking fuck up. Like, you know, it, it's 1970 Hollywood. He's, he doesn't actually say fuck. But you know what I mean? Call like, him a penguin, which is, I think, code for fucking asshole. <laughs> like, literally from moment one, it's just like, <laughs> you suck. And it's just like, but why, though? Why does he they're basically it? the same guy. <laughs> I mean, it's, he's even his brother-in-law, right? I mean, they yeah, said he's that his like twice. Well, I guess that that's a reason he's going to just like him a lot more after this is all over, probably. <laughs> well, what I love about that too is that he's the brother-in-law, and it's like, but Dean Martin's the one cheating on Burt Lancaster's sister. Like, if anyone has a right to have an attitude problem, it's not him, you know? Like, whatever. Anyway, point is this: there is a <laughs> well, lot. Yes, please, there is a lot about this movie that is. It, that doesn't make it work as an actually tense film. Like the movie somehow diffuses the tension. Really, the moment before the explosion is the only part where I'm like, oh fuck, what's going to happen? Most of the movie, you're just it just manages for me to diffuse the tension. But I find something about the quaintness of the film, the Hollywoodness of the film, the the efforts of Burt Lancaster and, and Dean Martin to like be these characters 
I just find it very amusing, Doug. I was very amused by it, <laughs> even while I was thinking like, I can't imagine the audiences that saw this movie, which were apparently quite a few people, and were like, "Wow, what an exciting, gripping tale!" What? Like, I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> and yet, I was definitely amused by it. Wait, except you're... for one thing that we're going to cover later that I extremely dislike. I, I think you're going to enjoy the sequels to Airport. Awesome! Awesome! <laughs> can't wait. Uh, I, uh, boy, those are two very different responses to this movie, and somehow I had. A third different response. Oh to yeah, let's hear which, it. Which is that I love the first hour, where it's just the operation, the boring operation of a goddamn '70s airport where everything is mustard yellow and puke green, <laughs> and everyone is smoking and all the pl- flights, and it's just it's very much of that era, and it's very Hollywood, as you said, Leon. It's very well observed, but just the idea that it's like first you need to set up. These people who are just competent at their jobs, right? Just people being competent. This is the operation of it. I don't really have any particular positive or negative feelings about airports and the running of airports. But they're going to say, like, this is what these people do. And now this is how they handle a crisis in some way. And the fact is, them handling the crisis, also kind of boring. (laughs) It's just, just, you know, we got to go. Let's drive down by the plane, which is stuck in the snow. Let's now... Try to dig the plane out of the snow. Let's try to drive the plane out of the dugout part of the snow. Now that didn't work. Let's try to do it again. So like that, it's just like these little crises. And then when it turn, when it kind of switches over to the bomb part, which is a lot more serious, even in your mind, you're like, oh my God, he might blow up a bomb on the plane. That'll like destroy the plane. The whole thing will explode in the air. It goes off. And it blows a tiny hole inside of it. <laughs> I mean, it's great, right? No one has to die, and no one does die. And it's, ah, but Jacqueline Bissett gets shards of glass in her eye. Right? Shards? Of, she'll be okay. She, she'll be okay. Oh, whatever it was. She'll be the fine. only victim of that of that incident was going to be Dean Martin's marriage at the end of it. But it's <laughs> it's very much like the the stakes are both high and then kind of weirdly low. But it also, in some ways, it feels kind of pleasantly old-fashioned, because if you did this movie now, if you were to remake Airport, which isn't beyond the realm of possibility, though in a post-airplane world, it's hard to imagine. If you were to remake it, like, at least half those people would have been sucked out the back of a plane, right? I mean, it would just yeah. be... You have can't to... blow something up in a plane and have it just make a pleasant little hole. Like, that hole <laughs> is ridiculous on the side of the plane. <laughs> I like earlier, like, they set it up because George Kennedy is like, have you ever seen anyone get sucked out of a plane like that before? It's like what meat through a through a, 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 a trash compactor or whatever. It's just like not, it's just like a bunch of their shit flew out and then they basically sl- slapped a mattress over it. They're like, "All right, good to go. Hope the plane's tail doesn't come." I the melodrama of it is something that I really enjoy. I also like, and this is something that we're going to talk about in just a second in regards to disaster movies as a whole, which is it's like. It's like trying to, you get like a huge influx of this era of celebrities at once. So it feels like it's it's much faster to kind of uh, catch up if you're not a big fan of this era or if you haven't seen a lot of those films of the era. Now, I'm a big fan of 70s movies. Mm-hmm. And this will become uh, more exciting later in the decade with some of the sequels to this. Whereas just everywhere you look, it's another recognizable face. And they uh, they've done they've had these long careers and it's so and, and you know and even having Burt Lancaster who's this great actor even if he's playing a very kind of very intense moody r- role here and and you know just it's not like the Towering Inferno where you have your Paul Newman and your Steve McQueen or something like that but just the idea of this kind of all star 
where every role is a recognizable face and everyone has got to have, have to, their moment of crisis that they have to be up against. I just really love the drama of it. And yeah, look, the stakes aren't so high that by the end I was like very, very engaged. But I have to admit, when Petroni started to move that plane, when he was like, I'm going to ignore <laughs> yeah, Burt Lancaster, yeah. even if it means killing a bunch of people who are trying to <laughs> Even if it means that, I was with him 100% of the way. Though I am uh, curious, Liam, to hear the thing that you most have trouble with. I'm sure we'll get to that in just a second. But yeah, I want to continue with this idea of disaster movies. The 1970s were the, the heyday of the, the all-star disaster movie. There was the towering inferno. There was the killer bees. <laughs> There was the, the Poseidon Adventure, and et cetera, et cetera, the Irwin Allen movies, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, going back over to you, Sarah, is this a genre that you have any affection for, the all-star disaster movie? I, yes, I love all 70s movies, but, you know, <laughs> every one the of 70s, them? well, <laughs> you know, I haven't seen every one of them, but the 70s were lousy with disaster movies. And so, mm -hmm. you know, they have trains, ships, roller coasters. I mean, there's a disaster movie called Roller Coaster. Come That's on. Right. There's fire, flood, snow. Um, you know, Avalanche is one that stars Rock Hudson and Mia Farrow. And that's, that's probably true. like the worst that I've seen so far. <laughs> of it is. It's it's just really bad. And this <laughs> they have like these styrofoam um big boulders that are supposed to be snow. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's 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 well bad. One of the nice things about this movie <laughs> is that there's some real snow in it. I mean, obviously, there's some scenes where they have the fake stuff, but when you see stuff moving around in the snow, hey, I'll tell you, I'm a kind of an aficionado on snow because I live in Canada, but like I've seen a lot of it, and they're using the real stuff. I've seen uh, Avalanche as well, and uh, you're right, it uh, it it that shit is super fucking fake. Um, yeah. Any other any so any other disaster movies that that are. Uh, that have drawn either your ire or your uh, the opposite of that. Um, I like things like um, there's a lot of TV movies that I like, like Smash Up on Interstate Five. Sure. Um, SST Death Flight. <laughs> Killdozer. Oh yes. I don't know if that's a disaster movie. No, but probably not. I mean, it's a very a couple, small disaster. There's a couple with Shatner, which I can't think of the names right now. Maybe is one of was Nightmare on uh, uh, at thirty thousand feet. Is that a sure. Shatner one? I mean, and he is in the. Yeah, he's in the made-for-TV remake of, of that. Well, he's in the original as well. Yeah, and then there's one where he's in a train. Like, oh. he, he uh, yeah, I think that might be a TV movie. That one is really great. But I liked Earthquake a lot. Yeah. And so I would watch that one when it came on TV. And I grew up in Los Angeles. So that was like, you know, when you're a kid, like, you know, once a month you had to have an earthquake drill. Where you, uh, they would ring the bell like a fire drill, but you would have to get under your desk and you know assume the position, you know, with your hand. You, uh, it kind of is the same um, drill that they would do for an atomic bomb. You sure, know, right, get right. under your desk and protect your head. And so we were always scared in the seventies. You know, is it the big one? Because the, even the news would talk about it. And so earthquake was like, oh crap, this is what's actually going to happen. You know, I'm gonna. This earthquake's going to hit, and then Charlton Heston's going to be there. You know, it was – so that one was a favorite. I wonder if with uh, – not to bring it back to the horrific future that we are all going to encounter because of climate change, but you do wonder that with the increase of a lot of these major meteor meteorological events, 
uh, like typhoons and tsunamis and things like that, inclu- and also uh, things like earthquakes, if there's going to be um, a return to a lot of these disaster-style movies in the future. I mean, look, there's a lot of movies about earthquakes to some extent or another, but it's not like it's a concern that has gone away. Well, funny, funnily enough, last night I watched a movie called Silent Night starring Keira Knightley. I know this mm-hmm. seems weird because I don't particularly care for her. But that's what it's about. The, the, the planet has been, you know, not taken care of. And so it's emitting this um, toxic gas. And when it hits you, you die. And so they're all gathered together at Christmas because they're all have a pact where they're going to take a pill. <laughs> Holy shit. The government, the government gives them a pill and it's like die with dignity. Because if you don't take the pill, you know, it's like an Ebola kind of death. And so, you know, um, the kid from Jojo Rabbit, I'm just going to call him Jojo Rabbit because sure. I can't think of his name. He's amazing Fine. in this. But, you know, he he's like, you're going to kill me, you know, talking to his parents. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to give him this pill. And like, you have to take this. He's like, no, I'm not going to take this. So everybody in that theater last night was just like, holy shit. Because, you know, COVID, we're still dealing with that. And then this movie was like a huge downer. And then at when everybody was going to take the pill, somebody came around and dropped pills in front of each one of us, like the same pill they were taking in the in the movie. Oh. And just like, what the fuck? It was really... Um, it's filmed in yeah, television. It, it got me. So there is, um, you know, so that one surely takes on, um, talks about the climate change there. I'm sure people will be like, oh, that's all woke. But, you know, it's well, funny, I mean, but it's also been... tragic. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've been kind of living a disaster movie over the past year and a half yeah. or so. We yes, kind of, we, yeah. you know, and, and it seems like there's a lot of elements that are relatable there. Liam, you should know, by the way, uh, Sarah mentioned Earthquake from 1974. That's a film that we are going to have to watch on this show because it also features George Kennedy in it. Are you excited about that? Earthquake. Sure. I'm, I am. I'm very excited. Uh, Liam, you like celebrities. Yeah. <laughs> sure. You like Hollywood, as you established when you were talking about Airport? Yeah. Do you like the idea of these big Hollywood epic disaster movies with all these famous faces? Are you are you a fan of them? I mean, I haven't seen any, so I don't know, mm. honestly, what I'm going to think. I mean, it'll be fine by me in that um, I often don't know the people. Like, I'm just not familiar enough. Because when you say established people, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of these people had their if, – if you're in a 70s disaster movie, your hottest roles were probably in the 60s, right? Like like by the time you get to the disaster movie? I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, I mean, like, so then I probably Earth, don't know who they are. Earthquake <laughs> stars uh, Charlton Heston uh, and Ava Gardner. So well, yeah, yeah. Charlton Heston's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard. Charlton Heston, of course. You know, that's uh, obviously – Your favorite. Yeah. I mean, you like his politics most of all. Oh, yeah. No, totally. <laughs> I, I – I write him. I, I write him in for president every year. Wait, what? <laughs> Doug thinks he's so fucking funny. It's like you're writing him in for president every year. Every year, I just write him in. Charlton Heston, and then in in parentheses, I put Planet of the Apes in case they don't remember who I mean. Oh, that guy. Uh, so, so, but you now off uh, off mic before we started recording, you did mention that you have seen the Towering Inferno. Oh yeah, it's been a long time that I don't remember a lot about it. I, I remember thinking it was cool, but I don't know why I haven't gone on any sort of like for whatever reason I've never like hyper focused on disaster movies and made that a thing. I think because I've been told that they're kind of hit or miss. That some are fun and some are not fun. I mean, I, I think that's fair to say. There's a, one called Meteoroid, 
with uh, Sean Connery. That sounds pretty interesting, right? Uh, sure, whatever. <laughs> Liam, what natural disaster are you most frightened of? Oh, right now, tornadoes, because mm-hmm. I live outside of Chicago. And since I moved here, I've had to go in the basement four times because of possible tornadoes. So, you know, I'm a little anxious about that. Is it because you don't like your basement? <laughs> right, Doug, that's why. That's why. Sure. That sounds right. You know, I grew up I grew up on an island, Liam. You know this. Yes. Um, and I kind of notoriously and famously on that island, they encountered a tsunami and a tidal wave. This was many, many, many years before I was born. And uh, the the fear of a tidal wave, specifically because I grew up right on the water, is something that I carried with me all throughout my childhood. Especially because we did get some big waves sometimes. Not that it would you know ever have reached my house or anything like that. But the idea of a giant wave just washing away me and everyone I cared about is something that I had a lot of nightmares about. Do you think you can make a disaster movie about that? I mean, there are. But are you scared of tidal waves, Liam? It's not it's not high on my list. I don't know. I, I, I'm also not convinced. I guess if the thesis of disaster movies, right, is that the people who will most appreciate the disaster movie are people who are afraid of that disaster in real life. I don't I don't buy that at all. I don't think that's true. I mean, I think an earthquake movie could be a lot of fun, but I don't walk around worried about earthquakes. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that my like, for example, I'm pretty afraid of orcas, but I'm not very afraid of the movie Orca. Well, the fil- film Orca was filmed in Newfoundland, where I grew up, the very island. I know. I'm aware. Mm. <laughs> it, all, it all comes for, for, uh, full circle, Liam. Sticking with you just for a second, Liam. This movie, Airport, we're talking about Airport from the year 1970. Oh, are we? Oh, we are. Stars Burt Lancaster and Dean Martin. And both of them, they're having some lady issues, I would say, in this yeah, uh, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lancaster, he's having difficulty with his wife, who thinks he spends too much time at the airport. She Psh, says that her how father... How dare she? How dare she? She says her father can get him a job where he could work nine to five, and he'd get pay, paid three times as much. A and real Bert job. Lancaster is disgusted yeah. at the idea that he make make... He might have a relationship with his family yeah. and make oh. three times as uh, much money. Uh, <laughs> what a instead monster. Of, instead of living a life where it appears that that his job is being threatened at any particular moment. So he's having some difficulties there. And also his the, the woman who works, I guess, in hospitality at the airport, him and her, they have a, lo- a really strong friendship. And there's some suggestion that it's hinted at something more. Then we have Dean Martin, the pilot. His wife... Uh, loves him, apparently, and also recognizes that he's a bit of a philanderer. And he is a philanderer. He's been having sex with one of the stewardesses on the plane, and now she is pregnant. And they have to talk about all the serious stuff that revolves around them. So what I want to ask you, Liam, is why are men in the 1970s so goddamn gross? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be fair, you know, men have always been gross throughout time, but... It, the the frustrating thing about this movie is this feeling that like the audience should be stoked that these two like gross old men get to be with younger women like that's yes. part of the you know even more important than the plane landing is the part where Burt Lancaster you know allows himself the the indulgence of going home and then you know uh, apparently Dean Martin does the right thing by going to the hospital with his 
lover and a, like literally not even noticing his wife exists. <laughs> and and you know, I I just it's for a movie. I, I you know, I had a little bit of fun saying you know th- there are things to like about this movie more than just the bad things. There there are things that that are you know pretty good, but. <laughs> Either, either from a detached viewpoint or from a fully invested viewpoint, I just can't get past these two. At that, that the movie doesn't work unless these old men get to like I don't know upgrade their relationships or something. It's gross. It is gross. Even the Burt Lancaster one, which is the le- less philand, you know, he's a yeah. he's a man of morals, I guess. <laughs> um, but like just this whole thing where it's like, well, these. These sexy old men who look way older than they actually are, uh, we have to believe that part of their narrative involves them being sexual beings and getting with these other women. It's unnecessary. Neither of these characters needs these plots for the film to function in any way. It's just part of the texture of the film, and it feels like it's an attempt by the movie to be very modern. Like, mm-hmm. like right. you know, oh, do you want to take care of it? Uh, you know, there's a place in Sweden I know about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Fuck you. I don't need any of this shit right now. Like, it's just so superfluous and, and honestly very, you know, sexist that, like, I just don't need it. And it, 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 it took me out of what was, for the most part, very fun for me. I was having fun with the movie, Doug. Uh, and every time it circled back to these subplots and really honed in on them, it was less fun for me. And I just was like, you know, f- fuck the 1970s. Or, or I guess this would be... <laughs> 1970 is really the last gasp of the 60s, right? That's how that yeah, works. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, you know, fuck the 60s. That's what this... The, the 60s was very much uh, all about free love as long as men still got to maintain power. That's what that was about. And it really wasn't until the 70s that people started to say, well, well, sure, but what if women were human beings? And, and that kind <laughs> of fucked, agency. <laughs> yeah, like that kind of fucked up that whole thing, you know? And, and again, not that these actresses aren't trying to, uh, it, you know, take these characters and imbue them with agency and make them real people in the world. Like, it's not it's not a performance issue. It's a script that's like, yeah, then they get with these these uh, younger women and, and get to be happy. That's great. And we had no resolution with his wife. We get, we get to see her be sad. And then it's yeah. like, yeah, she's sad. So that's all you need as an audience because you didn't care about her anyway. He's Dean fucking Martin. Fuck Liam, that. You, I can't. <laughs> Liam, you know what my favorite subplot in this movie is? What's that? It's the <laughs> fact... So there are some people picketing outside the airport. Yeah, yeah I was going to mention that earlier. <laughs> so, so what's been happening is that as some of these planes come in for landing, they're, they're, coming, they're flying over these people's houses... And it's like rattling shit so much that it's like falling off the walls and it's destroying their houses and it's being very loud and it's all hours of the day, I guess, and night. And they're like, hey, could you guys stop doing that? And Burt Lancaster, A, says no. Like, it'll, he, I think he explicitly says it's not going to get any better. But also, B, you are the bad guys because you don't want us destroying your houses with our planes. They're meant to be set out as kind of the villains because one of the other threats in this movie is that they're going to create a lawsuit against the airport if they don't do something about it. Just the idea that we're not supposed to be sympathetic to these people. <laughs> who, by the way, lot. I could be a person who lives near an airport. I'm never going to be a guy running a fucking airport. So I'm a, I have a lot of sympathy for those people who are just trying to use the small amount of power they have to not be woken up in the middle of the night by a plane going overhead. 
Uh, just just one of the small, interesting things about who we're supposed to who, care and not care about. Who movie. the fuck built those houses? That's what I, I know. I, I, the, whole thi- the whole thing is going, and I'm going, who planned this goddamn airport? This whole thing seems like a bad idea. We only need two runways, and one of the runways is right by the houses, and it'll be fine. It's cool, man. It's all good. Like, either the airport it was a huge mistake or the houses was a huge mistake, and my, my gut feeling is it's probably both, right? Like, probably two. Two, two groups of, of, of civic planners were like, it's fucking fine. It doesn't matter. Sarah, I want to have your thoughts on Burt Lancaster and Dean Martin and how gross they are and also how this movie kind of presents them. I mean, I'm a little confused about how we're supposed to feel about Dean Martin at the end of this movie when he's just ignoring his wife. His wife has been shown to be very sympathetic up to that point, very kind. She obviously understands the fact. I mean, she, at least she's allowing the fact that he is a, a bit of a cad <laughs> in the movie. But at the end, are we supposed to still like him? Are we supposed to think that she is becoming aware that there's no resolution to the relationship? What are we supposed to think about these characters? Well, still like him. I mean, I never liked him. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a terrible person. Not a great negotiator <laughs> either. <laughs> and his wife, by the way, is Barbara Hale, who was in Perry Mason. Um, mm. Della Street, is that uh, her yeah. character's name? Yeah. And Perry so, Mason, of course, just... was uh, played by Raymond Burr, a famous Canadian. Sorry. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> Do you do that for every Canadian actor? Oh, I, you know oh, what? God. Every Canadian does it for every Canadian. We got to take our moments where we can. Okay. So, yeah, Dean Martin, gross. In no way would I ever believe that Jacqueline Bissett, gorgeous, beautiful Jacqueline Bissett, would even want to be with Dean Martin. I mean, that guy is like beef jerky. He's gross. No. <laughs> yeah. she, she, I, you know, she looks like she's like 19. Yes, she does. She's probably 21, but, you know, it, it's just, uh. No, she probably is, you know, for to, for that job, you probably have to be 21. You know, Not exactly she, 21, necessarily. <laughs> well, Gene Seberg at least looks a little bit closer to the age of Burt Lancaster. I mean, you know, she looks like, she, honestly, she looks like Tippi Hedren. That's who I thought it was at first. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> my husband walked in when I was watching it, and he's like, I didn't realize Tippi Hedren was in this. I'm like, she's not. Um, you know, they try to portray Burt Lancaster's wife as this just horrible bitch. You know, they that's who she is. She's the bitch. And you're supposed to, you know, feel sorry for Burt Lancaster. But then, you know, halfway through the movie, you realize he's just an asshole. You know, obviously he loves this um, Gene Seberg. I don't know her name. And he just doesn't want to go home. To spend yeah. any time with his, his kids. Yeah. He so even then states you realize, as much. Yeah. So, you know, then you're just like, well, wait a minute. Maybe the wife has, you know, maybe she's right. And <laughs> Remember when, the wife, when the wife is like, she's like, our daughter, she ran away. She's gone. And he's like, oh, my God. He's like so concerned. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I know where she is. She's just at a friend's house. It's like, what the fuck would you position it that way for? <laughs> I, I mean, the, the, Doug, I was thinking when you described this movie, you were like, well, the beginning is very much about the inner workings and the details of a, as if it's like as if it's like that book, The Library or something. Let's be clear. Um, if this is the, the the way the airport actually was, then it's really just a story about an organization poorly. Like the, the very idea, like, well, the airport can't run without Burt Lancaster here. 
who the fuck designed it that way? Like, no, nothing of the size of an airport should need one guy to make sure he can come to work so that, you know, disasters don't happen. Like, like it's just, it's interesting how the movie, uh, you know, the movie doesn't make the wipes sympathetic, but at least it creates the dynamic of you saying like, okay, well, is it, is it this character or is it his wife that's at fault? And like a little bit of thought process should make the audience go, why does an airport need one fucking guy? Like, and but that's the the whole movie is about whether it's him or Dean Martin or a much more likable character, but still this person, George Kennedy's Patroni. The whole movie is about white male egos that these places can only run because of heroes. But no organization of this size can rely on one or even three people, no matter how white and male they are, to run. You know, well, it has to be the story of community, but of course, community sounds like communism, so fuck that. It's all about heroes. Look at you, <laughs> Sarah. I want to continue with you, but before yes. I do, I want to tell you some information that you might find very interesting, please. Which is that, um, so Dean Martin, I believe, was 53. In I know, I reject that totally. 53, no, and uh, what if I was to tell you that Jacqueline Bissett was 26 uh, in this film? And moving over to Gene Seberg. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I totally wrong? I'm Burt sorry. Lancaster was in his late 50s. I believe about right. 57, uh, 58. Gene Seberg. Gene Seberg was a spry 32 years <gasps> old. Oh my God. Uh, I'm so movie. sorry, Gene Seberg. Because she looked like she was in her 40s. Gorgeous. But I thought she yeah, was in her 40s. Absolutely. I mean, she, she does have a, she exudes a confidence that uh, I think is representative of perhaps an older character because again she is matching with a man thirty years older than her. <laughs> Both of these characters are, and again at the end we're supposed to be like, "Good on you." And also, it's it's it, I almost think it's a misnomer to refer to these as white men, considering that they are crispy and charred uh, <laughs> in oh this God. fucking thing. Um, Bert Sarah, Sienna, I think, is Dean Martin's crayon color. He's, he's so <laughs> he's like, like I say, he's like beef jerky. He really is. But let's just put it all out there. In fact, maybe you could even respond a little to what Liam just said. You know, is that what this movie is really about? It's about the perhaps unearned confidence of these white men who really, look, they're strained, they work hard, but they're also kind of like unpleasant and gross. Uh, no, I think Liam's right. Um, you know, I, I think when they write these movies or wrote these movies back in the 70s, that wasn't, you know, that was just a thing that they wrote. I don't think it was even intentional that, that they want to, you know, have the white hero. I mean, that's how Absolutely. we look at it now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was just the back then, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. these guys are the heroes and sure, they're assholes and they're cheating, but you love them anyway. And so when we look at it now, we're just like, that's just gross. No, they're terrible people. You know, well, I don't yeah. know if they're terrible, but <laughs> Dean Martin's pretty, Dean Martin is pretty terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his wife, I like we're not even using his character name. It's just Dean Martin. A oh, terrible I don't even, person. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think it works both ways. Um, his wife, I mean, she like knew that he was with, because clearly he did this before with yeah. many, like, you know, anytime there's a new stewardess on the crew. I guess he's nailing her in whatever country that they're in, you know. How does he know that there's an abortion clinic in Sweden? That's the best. <laughs> I mean, come on. He's heard about it. You know, the guys yeah. talk. 
The pilots no. talk in the pilot locker room. He's got a punch card, about. and he, the tenth one is free. So uh, exactly, that's they're, they're they're all in the pilots' lounge, going, "Hey, fellas, where can you go internationally to get an abortion? No reason." It's, it's insane, and so she, you know, she was willing to deal with that because he provided for her, and you know, I guess she liked the lifestyle she was in. And so she was willing to deal with it. But clearly, you know, he made the decision right there, I think, that he was going to leave his wife and go with a shard lady. I guess. I, liked, I, did, <laughs> I, did, I did like Dean Martin's relationship with his co-pilot, who had kind of, he's more of like, a, the co-pilot is more of a settled down guy. You know, he promised his wife that he wouldn't cheat on her. So, you know, he's, he's kept to that promise. I guess that's something that all pilots have to kind of... <laughs> Put it out in writing the, or something the like wonder, that. The wonder in Dean Martin's voice when he's like, yeah, I guess you don't just fuck stewardesses, huh? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, Dean, it, it, we're in our mid-50s, sir. We're, we're well, grandfather uh, age. Was Barry Nelson the co-pilot? I think so. I know he was a pilot in... Uh, at, I don't think he was the one that drove the, the asshole who cut the runway short and then ran into the snow. What about that guy? Yeah, he just he just drove poorly and is like, "Fuck yeah. it, I'm out." Yeah, peace, leave you. I'm leaving. But um, yeah, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> I did. I forgot what I was saying. Let's talk about Ada Quincy, played by Helen Hayes in this film. Uh, she is a serial stowaway, an old woman, an older woman, a little old lady. Uh, and she there's a, actually a, one of the highlight scenes, I think, of the entire film is them interviewing her and her explaining how she just sneaks onto flights. You know, she has all these different methods that she goes by. She gets found out and then they park a, uh, a one of the employees at the airport to stay with her so they can put her on a flight back home. But then she makes a slip on him and gets on the flight to Rome that ends up getting uh, has the person who's got the bomb on the plane as well. All fits together. Uh, she won an Academy Award, as we mentioned, for this film. It is uh, not a large part, but it is a very memorable one. It's probably the comedic uh, high point of the movie. Uh, just going over to you uh, for a second, Liam. You like crime. Yeah. You are a fan <laughs> of it. Yeah, you, that's fair. You, you think theft is good uh, as long as it's being done against deserving people with money. Uh, so with mm-hmm. that in mind, you must be a big fan of Ada Quincid in this film. I wouldn't say big fan. I, you know, big it's, fan. It's, I, I appreciate the character. I like the part where she was like, cops should have to wear their uniforms all the time so they don't <laughs> hide among us normal people. But, you know, it's it's not it's – a, it's, a, it's a funny role – I certainly liked how she lived, you know, the idea that on the plane she's like her and the and and uh and uh the splinter woman are hamming it up a little bit so they distract yeah. the guy. I appreciate that, you know. I, I I like the idea that she'd be like, "Can I hit you?" and she's like, "Yeah, please. That's great." You know, <laughs> I love all that. Uh but 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 honestly, like there's a certain like I, I mean, I'm not very well versed in in movies of of the in Hollywood movies of the sixties per se, but there was something that felt very tropey about the character, the sort of mm-hmm. like talkative loner old lady thing. And so part of me was kind of like, oh, this whatever. But there there was a certain anarchy to her character, like the very idea that she was like, I'm gonna trick this dude and I'm gonna get on a plane to Rome as a way yeah. to get to New York. Yeah, sick. Love that. Love that a lot. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I mean, you know, she definitely is important to the plot, unlike a lot of the other subplots in the movie. So I guess I appreciate that as well, that she actually matters to what's going on. Yeah, th- I, at first I thought it was just going to be that one sequence. And, it, and, you know, it's still memorable, but it, but they really do pull her in to, to make her a central part of the final kind of act of the film. Liam, I do have a quick question to ask you, which is you are a man of faith. Okay. Did you like it when that priest slapped that guy in the face? I hated I I hated that guy. I tweeted about how like I was like I was like, you know, I pretend to be a pacifist, but the moment that that dude shows up on the bus, right, where he's like nice yeah. of them to tell us about the thing. He's, he's I was like, as soon as oh, I want him. that fucker dead from the moment he's on screen. I was like, I hope He's the they guy kill who fucks dude. up the 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 they almost have the suitcase away yeah. from the bomber he fucks it up by trying to grab it he's like you can't take that guy's stuff just the big biggest busybody asshole. oh and no and when the dude comes out of the out of the toilet he goes That's it's right. a bomb grab, grab it, it. <laughs> fuck you he's the worst i feel bad for that I, I actually feel kind of bad for that actor because he's like he had to be reading that script either enjoy like oh i'm gonna be an asshole that's great or like god damn it my character does the wrong thing every few minutes this whole movie <laughs> that and that little wiener kid who thought he was the, the, the <laughs> he knew everything there was to know about airplane flights um sarah your <laughs> thoughts your uh your opinions on helen hayes as ada quinson were you a fan of this character uh, at first, um, when the character came on screen, I kind of rolled my eyes because I was like, oh, it's it's that, you know. And so Very broad, as the movie, yeah, yes. It, the little old lady who's, you know, doing, I didn't realize she was going to, you know, an absolute badass criminal. But, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't like her at first, I will admit, but she grew on me toward the end. And then she, didn't they, I like that they got to abuse her. I mean, Jack on the set, like, really, I mean, yeah. she got tough. So that was that was cool. I think the idea that you were saying, Liam, about how earlier in the film Jacqueline Bissett is very mean to her, it's to make it more believable later when she has to pretend to be mean to her. No, yeah. th- you're mixing up the characters. Gene Seberg oh. is very mean to her. Oh, you're right. Gene Seberg is really mean to her, and she's not mean to anybody. But because she was mean, she has to lose one eye. That's how it works in the... Wait, but didn't, didn't she yell at Helen Hayes when they were trying to do the bomb thing? And the guy was like, hey, hey, uh, Whit Bissell was sitting there. Uh, yeah. shout out to right, Bissell. right. But that uh, that was like revealed to be fake from the beginning. But well, Gene Seberg yeah, is like actually mean to this lady f- oh, just yeah. because she's sneaking on the planes. And I'm like, yo, like, leave that. I, I, I just can't imagine. Like, I can imagine doing your job, but I can't imagine some, you know... Generally pleasant elderly woman being like, yeah, I'm poor, so I sneak onto all the plates, and y'all are too incompetent to stop me. <laughs> I can't imagine being like, oh, I hate this woman. I'd be like, yeah, lady, that's <laughs> awesome, you know? Especially because Burt Lancaster seems her. just amused by it, right? He doesn't right. seem to care that much at all. I mean, it's not like she's taking someone's seat, right? She's taking an empty seat. I think everyone should sneak on planes. That's what I'm telling you. That's actually the message I want people to really take away. I mean, you know, we've talked about it before, but uh, my friend uh, BJ, who won the Amazing Race, uh, his first sort of uh, foray into being a crazy person was sneaking (laughs) on a plane just before, just before 9-11. So the security had not yet gotten as intense as it is. He, He missed a flight home from college to see his parents. And so he just snuck on and hid in the bathroom. And they only found him five minutes before landing they were like what are you doing in here and he had hit it in the bathroom and like he ended up not getting in a lot of trouble but i remember thinking it literally it was four months 
before 9-11. And it was like, man, you really miss getting in a lot of trouble by just a few months, my man. <laughs> Sarah, this yes. uh, one of the things, one of the movies that we haven't really talked about here, even though it's probably what a lot of people think about when they hear the name Airport, is the movie Airplane, the classic comedy, the parody film. Now, I think a lot of people, probably a lot of listeners to this right now, know that Airplane, even though it's a parody of a lot of tropes from different movies, its main uh, focus is not airport, even though the title seems to be a reference to it. It's the film Zero Hour from the 1950s, where it takes whole pieces of dialogue from that film and kind of uh, they make fun of it. There's a whole lot of sequences. Basically, the structure of Airplane comes from Zero Hour. But there's also a lot of airport in Airplane. Having Airplane out in the world, does that make it a lot more difficult to take a movie like Airport or or even really any of the disaster movies of that era seriously or maybe is is taking it seriously not even the point at this point uh, are you asking me yes i am asking you uh, i'm sorry i guess i guess right it comes down to the idea does the, does the fact that airplane exists in the world has that ruined airport and its sequels because it mocks so many of the tropes in these films i don't um i don't think so but i it's it's weird i think Anytime we're going back to watch a movie that was made 50 years ago. Sure. Um, it doesn't, you know, if there's a parody of it or not. People, I mean, Liam said he, you know, started to watch this movie and then just decided he was just going to go with it and laugh at things. Yeah, so, he hates movies. He's not a really a movie <laughs> Stop, stop. <laughs> I mean, I've been to plenty of screenings of older movies where, you know, there's always a row of assholes who yeah, think they're in Mystery people. Science Theater. Yeah, and they ruin it. And I hate it. I hate I really hate people. That's anyway. Liam. He, him, <laughs> his buddies, him and his buddies go into the late night screenings of airport, ruining it for everybody. No, you never stop it. I I'm not trying. I'm just joking around, Liam. You I know don't you don't disrespect that. the theater, my man. That's right. It's a holy place. <laughs> but Sarah, so so you're saying that 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 inevitably over time, the tropes of of uh, a style, especially one that was very popular at that time, will probably be hard to take as seriously as when it came out. Yes, I think uh, audiences today would laugh at um, Airplane, even if they haven't seen Airport. Or backwards there. Sorry, <laughs> they'd laugh at Airport, even if they haven't seen Airplane. I saw Airplane like at the drive-in when I was really young. And I think maybe I saw it once more on cable because it was always on. But I haven't seen it you know, since the 1980s. Mm. So um, you know, I get to watch that almost fresh at this point. <laughs> it might be fun now that you've recently revisited Airport. Again, Airplane isn't a direct parody of it, but I do think that it would be a lot of fun to to watch it. Uh, it's almost as much fun as it is to watch Zero Hour and then to watch Airplane, especially if you haven't uh, seen a lot of those connections before. I actually think that maybe Airplane 2 plays with some of the tropes from this movie in particular, though it's been a long time since I saw that film, also directed by a Canadian, just letting both of you know that. Ken Finkelman, the creator of uh, The Newsroom, which is uh, a different show than The American Newsroom. Very good Canadian comedy TV show. See, I have a lot of information to share on this episode of George George Kennedy is my co-pilot. Liam, uh, <laughs> Liam just, uh, do you have any thoughts on the same subject? Airplane parodying a lot of the tropes of this entire series to some extent. You didn't take it very seriously anyway, so I guess it doesn't really matter if you can take it seriously or not. But it's potentially... Uh, the case that for the future films in the series, that there will be something that you connect to that you will take seriously, or could you? 
I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sort of in a similar place where it's been so long since I've seen Airplane. If you asked me to mention specific gags from it that were related to this or other movies, I would not be able to. I don't have, outside of like a very distinct memory of, of certain jokes in it, I don't have a strong memory of it. I, I need to rewatch it. It's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, but Liam, that, Liam, Liam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Surely you can't be serious. Stop. <laughs> I, I, the part, the part that what stuck. What asshole in, I am. The, the, wor- the part that stuck in my head is really one of you the worst that. parts, which is when she's speaking jive. That's like one of the worst parts of the movie, and it's in my head. So whatever. Uh, uh, no, I mean, look, I, I think that. I guess at the time, disaster movies were serious business to someone, right? But I can't think of that that's so far from me that that i'm supposed to watch any of the i mean i i cannot wait to watch roller coaster not least of which because <laughs> sparks is in it but the yeah. idea that i'm gonna watch roller coaster and go oh i'm fucking terrified get out of that's the 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 moment for that has long passed and that's true for a lot of movies and that doesn't mean i won't enjoy them I exactly. just I just won't be gripped by them the way that I guess someone was. I mean, it, the other thing, of course, is that few things have changed as much since the early 1970s as air flight has. I mean, yes. the entire experience, it's still recognizable to some extent, but it's so different from how everything looks, of course, but just how it all functions, especially post 9-11. I mean, it just it, it feels like a lot of the things that happened in this movie couldn't happen now because I mean, for, for good and terrible reasons. I mean, fucking airplane. How am I supposed to be scared by an airplane movie after Snakes on a Plane? Yeah, like, I right. feel like <laughs> post Snakes on a Plane, it's like, yeah, planes, it's funny. I'm in. You know, like, I, I just, uh, you know, uh, there's, it would be interesting. I mean, I guess this does exist, right? There's a movie coming up that's about, like, the moon crashing into the earth or some shit. So I guess disaster <laughs> movies are still a thing. But it's just hard for me to think that there's any disaster movie that's like, no, this is really serious. Like, I, I just assume that no matter what the stakes are in the movie, some part of it's like, we're having fun, right? Like, I don't know. I, 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 I Maybe my view is just skewed after years of all kinds of fucked up movies. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's sad. We went from stakes on a plane, like you just said, to snakes on a plane. And uh, I don't think we'll ever be able to recover. Let us talk about the beloved actor, George Kennedy. It's why we're here. We haven't given him a lot of time, even though he's one of the standout performers in this film. I want to start with a little quote from, uh, from George Kennedy's autobiography, Trust Me, where he talks about the airport films. In the four airport movies, I play a guy named Joe Petroni. Over the years, more people have told me stories about him and what he did and said than about anyone else. I was coming back from New York to L.A. in a jumbo, and it was pretty quiet. There was a bing-bong and a voice. This is your captain speaking. Everything is fine and we'll be a little early. Should anything go wrong, however, Joe Petroni is sitting with you and we'll get him up here. I got a round of applause. So, George Kennedy, this was the role that I think was most connected with George Kennedy as an actor throughout the 1970s. The, the opening segments, or at least one of the, yeah, I think it's the opening segment of his Saturday Night Live episode in the early 80s, is directly parodying the uh, image that he had created as Joe Petroni in this film and its sequels. Joe Petroni, as we've mentioned already, he's sort of like a jack-of-all-trades. He's someone who's had a lot of experience with the planes themselves, but what he's best known for is getting these guys out of jams. And the jam that he needs to help them get out of in the 1970s airport isn't jam, it's snow, because a plane is stuck in snow, and he is the one, the only man, who can get it out before that uh, ruptured plane has to land. Uh, Starting with my co-host Sarah Jane today. Sarah, 
what do we think of George Kennedy as Patroni in Airport? Uh, I, I love him. I mean, he's like, you know, he's like my grandpa. He's like the thing <laughs> he is. The thing that was weird to me, uh, and I think maybe I would discuss this earlier, is that his role is really small. I mean, you know, when he comes on, it's all George Kennedy, and yet it's all you watch, you know, when he's on screen. He just, you know, says his lines and blah, 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 and you're like, yes! And then he's gone for 30 minutes, you know, then he pops back up. So, I don't know, does he have less than five minutes screen time? I think, so his introduction is very short. And then you do get a couple of sequences of him just like popping up and talking for a little bit. I do think if you take into account the the kind of culmination of that with him moving the airplane, maybe you get like seven or eight minutes of screen time. You're right. It is not a large role, even though it obviously made a big impact. Right. So whoever decided at the studio that, um, A, they were going to make a sequel because it was so popular, that out of that entire movie they just decided, hey, we need more Patroni. And so thank God for that. I mean, I think it's the yeah. fact that he was a breakout character. Yeah. I mean, again, he was yeah, nominated yeah. for a Golden Globe. People loved this character. And, you know, George Kennedy, he, very famous actor, but he's he's not Burt Lancaster. He's not Dean Martin. It, it, you probably could have got Helen Hayes back for the sequel. But uh, George <laughs> Kennedy, I mean... it he's the kind of character that it makes sense would still be working in this kind of field. I have not actually seen the airport sequels. Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of some <gasps> of them. Kidding. I know in whole. So, <laughs> so it's been, so I'm very excited about revisiting them and Petroni in those films, but it's like, what about this character made it so iconic for this actor? I don't even know if I can put it into words. I mean, everybody just loves him. There's just something about him. You know, it's like, again, it's like the everyman thing. He comes on screen. He knows what he's doing. He's going to get it done. And you're just like, yes. You know, it's just, there's no words to describe it. But I'm sure Liam or you can find some. And I cannot. So I apologize. He's just awesome. All right. He is just awesome. He's chomping on cigars. But what... What he I loves like those most, Cuban cigars. Loves man. those Cuban cigars. Going to get a box once he gets everything figured out. What I like most about Petroni as a character is that he is so competent, but he's also extremely confident in his own abilities. Right? He never. There's yes. never a question in his mind that he's going to be able to do this. You know, he's he when they call him up. You know, he's got his his girlfriend or wife or whatever in his arms, and he's like, yeah, you know. <laughs> but, that was but, amazing. I was trying to take a screenshot of that. <laughs> He's all making out with her, like, upside down. I was like, yes. But, but for him, it's like, it's like he talks to Burt Lancaster's character. He's like, is this serious? Do you need me? And he's like, yeah, I need you. And he's like, all right, here I come. And he's like to his wife, he's like, I'm going to be home by midnight because he's so confident. He knows this material, uh, like the, the, the airplane and this whole kind of situation that he's in, so well that he's never has any doubt in his abilities to do it. And there's just something kind of reassuring about people like that, especially because a lot of people in this movie seem really in over their heads or a little unsure about the situation they're in. Even though it gets a little touch and go at the end for him, he, there's never any doubt that Petroni's going to pull it out of the, uh, pull the feet out of the fryer. Right, Liam? What do you think about Petroni? What do you think about this George Kennedy performance? What do you think about being locked into a George Kennedy podcast for the next seven years? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm stoked on that. Uh, I shouldn't love this character because he is the embodiment of what I think is 
kind of the underlying problem with the movie, which is mm. like, look yeah. at all these strong men and, and how capable they are. And I'm not surprised in the 70s when there was all this anxiety about uh, masculine performance in so many ways that he was a breakout <laughs> character because he's like the man, you know? On the other hand, if you're going to have a character who's all about waving his dick around, at least have it be a big one. And that's what's going on with this character. <laughs> He's fucking right, you know? And so, like, yes, there's something maybe where you could say, like, I don't know, maybe, you know, what if he had been wrong? That would have been a real problem, you know? This is about <laughs> his ego. Like, maybe it's not worth the risk. But there's another part of me that's like, fuck it, man. He's right. He knows what's up. <laughs> and these goddamn educated fly boys with their fancy flying certificates or whatever the fuck, they could just fuck off because Petroni knows what's going on. Yeah, He's the right. man of the people. And, like, you know, th- there's a lot of problems with that on a larger scale. But in the, in the context of the movie, you know, the other men, that we have sort of walking around pushing people around and trying to be important it's not clear that they're actually that competent honestly and so like i guess it's just nice that there is a competent man around who could be like just gun it we'll be fine and honestly you know he he is proven to be right so you were thinking like well if that other pilot had listened to him and gunned it the way he told him to Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be in this fucking situation so it's just hard not to appreciate his performance and i will be honest he's also the only man we're shown happy with a woman his age you know what i mean like (laughs) he's just happily married and he wants to be home with his wife i love that that part of it i like too you know like i don't know it's you know it's just a comforting role to see him do it, and he does it so well that I just appreciated him in it. You know, you, you can see why, you know, that that apocryphal story from his autobiography, why it's kind of representative of how people saw him. Right, incredibly competent, but also an everyman, like a regular yeah. looking guy who yeah. just can do extraordinary things because he's so good at his job. I guess it is something that you can see why people would really connect to it in the seventies to a certain extent, I still connect to it. Now when I come out of this movie, there's a lot of things I remember about it. I, as I say, I think I like this movie more than both of you do as a whole, but the, the, the takeaway that I've always had when it comes to airport is that George Kennedy, he owns this role as Petroni and, you know, we're going to get a lot more of him before all is said and done. We're going to get a lot more George Kennedy before all is said and done as well. Ooh. We're about to clue things up here on the premiere episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot. But before we do that, we need to talk about what we're going to cover on the next episode, the second episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot. We're taking a bit of a different track, <laughs> let's say. Uh, I have chosen this, and I've got a- agreement with my two co-hosts. Even though I think there's a, a, I don't know if there's concern, but I don't know if either of you are extremely familiar with this film. Uh, I should let you know, listeners, that you can actually watch it on Tubi for free right now. The movie is 1990's Brain Dead, not to be confused with the other films called Brain Dead, including Peter <laughs> Jackson's film. Uh, I believe it, by the way, and I might be wrong on this, that the reason that Brain Dead, Peter Jackson's film, is called Dead Alive in the U.S., is so it was uh, because it didn't want to be confused with this film, 1990s. Brain Dead, directed by Adam Simon, written by Charles Beaumont and Adam Simon, starring, this is going to be confusing for some people, Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton. <laughs> so, is this the, is this the only both. movie they're both in? I believe it might be the only film yeah, that they're both yeah. in. We covered this on Hard Business for that, only, for that primary reason, is you get Pullman and Paxton in one movie? Awesome. And not only Pullman and Paxton, you also get the great Bud Court in this film as well from Harold and Maude, and... You get George Kennedy. So on the next episode of 
George Kennedy is my co-pilot. It's 1990s Brain Dead. Sarah, are you, are you excited about Brain Dead? Uh, I'm not sure excitement or excited is the word. I'm excited. I've not seen this, but I like uh, Charles Beaumont writes a lot of Twilight Zones, I believe. That's and so, true. You know, those are usually good ones. And uh, I like uh, Bill Pullman and, and, and Bill Paxton. Did I say Bull Pillman? I can't even <laughs> say their names anymore. I, I, think you, I think you got it mostly right. Who do you prefer, Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman? Uh, I think it depends on the role. No. Mm-mm. Okay, so uh, my <laughs> I guess That's it's terrible. then I'll say Bill Paxton. Yeah, okay. correct. <laughs> I do like him, but I can. He's forever Chet from uh, Weird Science to me. You know, I think that's like the first thing that I saw him in, and so that's just him. It was definitely the first role I saw him in. But uh, I'm a big Paxton head. Liam, do you have a preference between the Pullman and the Paxton? Game over, man. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> There you go. That's my first. That's my first. That's my intro. Uh, Adam Simon went on to be one of the creators of the television show Salem, which is not a show that I've seen before, uh, as well as the uh, writer of Carnosaur, the Roger Corman uh, dinosaur movie. Uh, but we're not going to be watching Carnosaur. Uh, I think we watched one of the Carnosaur sequels on Eric Roberts' The Fucking Man, but that, none of that matters. We're watching Brain Dead on the next episode of George Kennedy is My Co-Pilot. I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of looking forward, if you want to check out more podcasts, Liam, that you're involved in, more work that you're involved in, where can people go to check that out? Well, you can head over to cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com. Uh, we're in the midst of our Halloween celebration, Cineween, where mm-hmm. we're uh, trying to uh, feature a different writer or uh, videographer or whoever is willing to contribute uh, each day. Uh, with something, you know, generally spooky. A lot of horror, but other stuff as well. So head on over to Cinepunks.com to check that out. They can also follow Cinepunks on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's all C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. They can also head over to our website, Doug, Cinemasmorgasbord.com, to dive into the archives of this podcast uh, where we cover a lot of different topics, actors, Not not a big archive on this particular podcast so far. That's true, (laughs) but I would say say, uh, Cinemasmorgasbord uh, featuring all kinds of different topics as well. Uh, they can also follow uh, Cinema Smorgasbord on Twitter at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. That's correct, Liam. Sarah, you've got a lot of work coming out. I'm very interested in where people can check out your stuff as well. Well, after, I mean, this year has been horrible for me. It's so been a tough I, year. It's been my Annis Horribilis, as the Queen would say. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I, sorry, I just lost my train of thought, but I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. I haven't been writing, but I got the opportunity to review Venom for, uh, the Austin Chronicle. So that's up right now. And I'm excited about that. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Fuck This. Uh, I'm on Letterboxd with the same name, Fuck This. There's a lot of reviews there and, uh, links to my other work. Uh, also my husband and I run a YouTube channel called The White Slaves of Chinatown, mm-hmm. where we bring you the best in out-of-print, rare, and hard-to-find paramedia from around the world. So will, you can find us at White Slaves of Chinatown on YouTube. We'll, of course, link all of that in the show notes. You definitely should follow Sarah on social media. I do. And why wouldn't you want to do what I do? 
Speaking of social media, you can also follow Liam on there at Liam Rules. I'm talking about Twitter specifically, by the way, at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And you can follow me on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. But for now, we need to shut this plane down. We need to rest ourselves, rest, rest up, because in a few weeks, in just a short time, we'll be back again with 1990s Brain Dead on another episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot. Good night, everyone. Night-night. See ya.